Hi, everybody. This is Justin from the Generations End podcast. You could probably tell from the title that this episode is going to be a bit different than the other episodes you're used to hearing. Now, normally, we do shows that are funny, that are fun, with lots of laughs, but this episode is not going to be anything like that. I talked to the podcast crew that I work with on the show behind the scenes, and I said to them that I want to bring on my friend Dan Ryans. Dan is an activist in the Black Lives Matter movement, and he's a great friend of mine. I wanted to bring him on the show to educate us and tell us what he's been going through in his life and his experiences and inform every one of us on the show what's been really going on. As a podcast host and the creator of the show, I feel like I have an obligation to give someone like Dan a platform to speak his mind and educate all of us. What I care about is educating myself, educating the crew, and educating the audience on what's really going on. I'm not the person to be explaining this, and that's why I brought on a team of people who do. I'm so thankful that Dan was able to join us for this episode to give his perspectives on the racial injustices that we're seeing throughout the country and what he's experienced in his life. Here at Generation Zen, we're proud to stand with the Black Lives Matter movement as this is a human rights issue, not a political issue. This is about the men, women, and children in the black community who face discrimination every day just because of the color of their skin. It's important that we all stand together and speak up against these injustices that happen on a daily basis. I'm not going to be silent. No one here on the show is going to be silent. And we're taking a stand against racial inequality that we're seeing throughout the country. Black Lives Matter. And I thank you for listening to this episode and giving Dan a chance to speak his mind. All right, Dan. The floor is yours. Why don't you tell us what's going through your head right now and give us your thoughts on the situation? I'm overwhelmed, to be quite honest with you. Uh, how's it going, guys, by the way? I'm sorry I didn't say hi. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm incredibly overwhelmed and um i'm excited to let out my feelings to you guys i need to do it somewhere so it's good that i'm doing here long talk with my twin brother who's out in missouri right now so you can obviously imagine what things are like over there and stuff but you know we my brother and i we had a long conversation the other day and we're both taken aback by everything that's going on because it seems to be something that just continues to happen. And, you know, we could keep talking about why it happens or, you know, the historical circumstances surrounding it, but it, I just never, it never, I just can't think of why, you know, that there's always that underlying reason for things that, you know, but I don't know. It's just something that I can't answer. It's crazy. It's insane. So I know you were at a protest recently. Do you want us to? Do you want to tell us about your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was in, I was in Story Park in New York City um, on Monday, and I I wasn't planning on protesting. That 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 I will say um, 
I will defend that. I was not going to plan on it. I was actually walking because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight and, you know, you have to do some exercise to do that. So I was doing my workout regimen, which is walking. And, you know, I sat on a bench, you know, just to take in all of the fresh air and look at the nice east water of the East River and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I look to my left as I'm about to continue walking, and I see these people walking down. There's just just, just a couple of, of people uh, holding up signs, Black Lives Matter. And I'm saying, well, well, that's cool. At least there's a couple of people around here because, you know, Astoria wasn't really that involved at that point in time. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh cool. Finally, we got some people in Astoria that's, you know, willing to speak out. So, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought maybe it was just, you know, two people, you know, holding up signs and walking around trying to get people involved, but it didn't seem like it was working. And as I was walking and trying to, you know, continue my, my walking workout, you know, I looked back to my left and I see another crowd of people coming down, holding up signs. So then my thought was, okay, well, it's still not too many people, but it does seem like something is boiling up and I should, you know, stick around to see what was going on. About five minutes passes and again, nothing's really materializing. So I just figure, okay, well, it's not going to be much of a big protest, so I'm just going to leave. But then as I'm walking to the other side of the park, out of nowhere, you see this crowd of people, big crowd of people that filled up the street coming down. And they're holding signs. They have candles. They have, uh, uh, you know, a, they're wearing masks. It's it's insane. Their shirts. They're wearing shirts too. So like, I was stunned. And and once that once I saw that big crowd, I knew I had to stay because I knew it was going to be much bigger than I thought. It, it's kind of uh, funny how you were like disheartened. And you were gonna leave because it just you, you know you felt alone, and then no one was actually doing anything about it. And look, and I'm just I was just glad to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, you know because when I started doing that Instagram live, uh, before I started taking all those pictures, you know, it made me feel a lot better knowing that it was in my hometown that you know people were in support of you know a movement that was pretty much dismissed for a long time mm -hmm. that people that no, no one really cared about that, you know, continues to this day to be very controversial, which I mm -hmm. never understand. So it, it was good to see that everyone was getting involved. And I was um, just, I, I don't know, it got a little emotional, so, but I, I had to take it all in. Yeah. I feel like there's something really powerful about just being together with a lot of people who are united in that front. And I feel like um, there's sort of a disconnect on social media. So also, I was kind of curious yeah. about how you felt about some of the people who are just posting on social media all the time. Like, do you feel like it's as effective as some people maybe think it is? Or Certainly, social media has a, a leverage because if you're, especially if you're a celebrity, because you know, if you're very popular on social media amongst the whole crowd mm -hmm. and you can get that attention to other people. You can spread your message. You know, you, you're going to change people's lives. So it, it certainly is good that more people are speaking out about it, especially a much more diverse crowd. It's not just 
people of color. It's every every person in the human race, which is absolutely tremendous. I think it's great that you have stars just getting involved. Another thing I think is really something I've seen that's been really impactful with social media is, I mean, just from my own experience um, in terms of attending a protest and learning information about the movement and what's going on around us. Um, I found about uh, I found out about the protest I attended because of social media, people sharing like protests and times and places and when they're occurring and things like that. So it's it's been really useful in terms mm-hmm. of sharing information. And it's mm-hmm. also been really good at, at like exposing, you know, new perspectives to some people who, for some reason, like you said, do feel like this is a controversial stance, which is ridiculous in my opinion as well, to say that this movement's controversial. But yeah, and um, I guess I can just, should I tell my story about my protest I attended as well? Just I actually just want to say one thing before, uh, while we're on the topic of social media, I actually think it's probably one of the most influential part of the movement of the social media, because how would you have heard about any of the deaths between like the past few years? How have you heard exactly. about any of the protests? Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually, I think, one of the most important. Not parts. even the deaths, but, you know, if you think back to the issue in Central Park with, uh, I forget the lady's name, but, you know, how um, that young man was literally fearing for his life when that white woman called police. And oh, yeah, yeah. In that, in that fake whole controversy thing going on there with uh, mm-hmm. threatening her life. So right. I, I forget, I, I'm sorry if I, I forget the name, um, but, um, but yeah, even that, you know, just putting that on social media and it blew up like crazy. Right, that was so, the guy yeah. who was like, t- can you please take your dog out of this part of the park? That's yeah. the dog. Oh, I saw that, like, yeah. I'm going to call the cops and I'm mm-hmm. going to tell them an African-American mm-hmm. male is harassing and like, oh, he was shit. weaponizing the police. Is what she was yeah. saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, social media. There you go. Another, yeah, another thing with social media, exactly on this topic, is it mm-hmm. kind of serves as like a indisputable testimony of what's happening. You know, if you record and you post what's going on, people can't really argue with video evidence if it's unedited footage, you know? So, for example, things I've seen online are like people proving that protests have been very peaceful and often would show video evidence of cops instigating violence and looting and rioting. And one video I just saw recently that was really jarring that I just shared was a was footage of police destroying their own vehicle to try and blame it on protesters. Right. Wow. Which is, um, I saw that yeah. too. Isn't that disgusting? So, Same with the, the store, store windows and such. I saw that as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of so that's one of the great thing about social media right now is it's kind of like an information network. People are sharing, people are posting and people are just kind of spreading videos. And because a lot of these videos end up deleted, but if people share them, people save them. And then the videos don't disappear as easily, you know, yeah. the, the, the coolest thing about communication, especially online, is that once it's uploaded, it's there forever. You could take it down you could do whatever on your end. But mm-hmm. once that gets shared, that spreads like wildfire, especially if it's something so crazy that people are going to notice. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something that, you, you know, if you're going to post on anything, you have to be very careful, you know, to make sure because people will get their hands on on mm-hmm. your post. And, and it just... you, you were talking about how you attended a pro- 
uh, protests too. Do you want to talk about that? What your experience sure. was like? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I actually attended my first protest ever for anything today. Um, it was for Long Island locals listening. It was in Huntington by the Big Gate Shopping Center by the um, by the Home Depot, and it was a, every. So basically, the way it worked was everybody parked in. It was a large parking lot. Everybody parked there. And they all kind of congregated around 4.30. And this was like a March-style protest. So everybody congregated. And then we marched along um, New York Avenue, for again, for people who are familiar with the local area, and marched through like Main Street of Huntington, which is like where all the restaurants and stuff are. Um, basically, people were being very respectful of each other. People were like social distancing, wearing masks. Everybody had signs. And as we were marching along the street and marching through Main Street in Huntington, we were chanting different chants, um, such as like, say their names, George Floyd, say her name, uh, Breonna Taylor, you know, things like that to try and chanting, of course, Black Lives Matter. Um, and it was actually really great energy from everyone there. Um, a, a, a vast majority of the people who we interacted with were very supportive of the movement. Like as we passed by like restaurant owners and stuff, some of them handed us water. Some of them, um, uh, most people who were in vehicles who, as we passed by honked their horns in support. Um, it was actually really, from what I've seen, the Long Island protests have not escalated in terms of the police violence comparatively to New York City. Um, Suffolk PD seems like they're being a lot more respectful of protesters. We actually even had a police officer kind of guiding us through the streets and police officers kind of blocked off the, like, police officers blocked off the streets so we could go through, which was actually kind of like how they would if it was a parade. Nice. Yeah. Um, which was actually pretty, very kind of them. Um, one thing that was definitely powerful is as we passed by police every time, we, we would always chant like, hands up, don't shoot, which was like really impactful to me that was like that really stood out to me but um yeah so that's kind of been my experience in terms of this protest i went to i'm probably going to go to another one same area tomorrow it's while we're on the topic do we want to talk about how we can how you can protest safely during a, a pandemic and how do we feel about such large gatherings at this time during a pandemic it's tough because you're trying to avoid situations where you can catch the virus Mm -hmm. And obviously in New York City, especially here in Queens, you know, it's difficult because it, it was the, the epicenter of the city. So, you know, when you're trying to do that, it's tough, but it's worth the risk because what it does is you, it allows you to fight for something that's right. It's not right that people die in the streets. It's never right. It never will be right. And obviously, you know, if, if, if there's reasons to kill someone, that's one thing. But on matters of your skin color, it's never okay. So, you know, it's hard. But you know, if you have the knack, you know, I support, I even supported the protests for people wanting to reopen the country because they felt their freedoms were being um, taken away. I supported that too, even though I, I didn't agree with it, I supported their, their right to protest. So I definitely support the right to protest in this case, and I think it's a very good cause. It's a, it's a tough decision to make, but it's definitely a good thing to do. Right, and it kind of goes hand in hand with, uh, well, something you said before, which was the, the thing, the trend going around with the all lives matter 
and sort of taking attention away from just the Black Lives Matter. Uh, I'm not mm -hmm. sure exactly your thoughts on it, but I'd like to hear what you think about people saying that and sort of omitting the Black Lives Matter. Obviously, when it really comes down to it, the All Lives Matter comment does move away from the reality of the situation. And I know it's tough to get into the race argument because a lot of people don't want to talk about it. It's very uncomfortable. People tend to avoid it. So it's hard to talk about it, but you can't just say all lives matter as a way to deflect from certain situations. And I feel like that's what people are doing. They're not necessarily racist or anything. They're just trying to deflect the situation. It know, seems because like they don't want to get right. get into conversations about race and you know, but the reality of the situation is it is about race and we have to under make sure that when we are talking about the situation, as much as all lives matter, black lives matter. Right. Absolutely hundred percent. Yeah, because I, I hear uh, I don't agree with it personally. Um, but I, I feel like some people are are sort of looking at it the wrong way and they're seeing it as you know black lives matter and they're saying well what about me don't my, doesn't my life matter and it should go without saying that we're that yeah of course all lives matter but you know i like the the saying going around lately is you know all lives don't matter until black lives matter and that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense because yes. all lives yes. can't matter until everyone's life matters that's right yeah, yeah. it actually reminds me of this um this brief comic that I saw that I think some of you had probably seen before, but um, I think I might have shared it at some point. Or I think Jeremy actually shared actually, it. Actually, um, yeah, I did share it. Right? I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. House? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can explain that one because I don't remember oh, okay. super well. But yeah. So basically, I've seen a lot of really good illustrations to help people visualize the All Lives Matter comment compared to Black Lives Matter. Um, one is the example that Amanda just brought up where it's basically a picture of two houses, one's on fire and one's not. And there's a guy with a hose and he's spraying water on the house that's not on fire. The person is, uh, there's a person with him kind of like, wait, why are you spraying water on that house? He's like, well, all houses matter. And then the guy's like, but there's a house right over there that's currently on fire and there's a lot of terrible things going on right over there. Why don't you address that one? He's like, well, you know, I don't want my house to catch fire, so I'm going to make sure it's wet and make sure it's all good to go. And it's like, and he's like, I'm sure the owner of that home could fix it himself. And it's like, well, the owner of the home died in the fire and he's dead. Basically, it's a visualization showing, like, if you're saying things like all lives matter, you're detracting from the fact that there's clearly a present danger for black lives. Another good one I saw that I shared I just recently was... um there was a, someone who like broke their legs and then there was like a paramedic who rushed over like, oh my God, are you okay? And then there's someone standing there perfectly healthy like, what about my legs? <laughs> and it was like, yes, that, one, yeah. that one I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, there's been a lot of really good illustrations to kind of show the hypocrisy of All Lives mm -hmm. Matter. Obviously all lives matter, but like Tom said, all lives don't matter till Black Lives Matter too. Also, I think somebody asked me to talk about like the health at the, like the health precautions at the protest I was at, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, I'll just explain that briefly. Uh, everybody, every post I've seen for advertising these protests were like, um, you must wear masks. You must, um, like, you have to wear masks. You have to be respectful and kind to others. Uh, social distancing. Um, so basically everybody was marching, but like not like right bunched up next to each other. We were kind of like had a respectful distance for each other. Everybody had masks. 
Uh, a lot of people had hand sanitizer and as soon as they were to return home, like I heard, I overheard someone say, okay, before we go to the car, let's put on hand sanitizer and make sure we're like safe. Um, so everybody was pretty aware of coronavirus and the real threat that the pandemic is, but they, and they're, they know it's like a serious thing. This isn't the um, reopen crowd. There's not a whole lot of overlap between those two protests. So everybody was, nobody was like, saying that we should be able to just walk freely uh, without precautions. Um, so yeah, basically everybody was being kind and respectful towards each other. Also, I know that um, Amanda wanted me to mention something about my protest as well. So I'm just gonna throw that in there too. Um, I, before, right, actually right before the protest started, it was interesting. There was um, two, um, two African-American men who, approached our protest group. Apparently they do this every time before people march. And they were saying how, um, they basically mentioned how they felt that the march was unnecessary and that it was endangering people more because change was already happening and there was already justice served for, and changes were being made. But, um, and they were saying the more important thing is that you register to vote, which obviously I'm gonna say right now, registering to vote and voting in, all forms of elections, extremely important if you want to make any sort of change. Uh, if Whoever's listening, if you're not registered to vote, please do it. Uh, but yeah, so it was interesting. They were saying how you please just vote instead. They were mentioning how like it's endangering their children's lives and things like that, um, which I think is a, an interesting argument that they made. And it seemed like the perspective of the marchers was, why can't we do both? Why can't we register to vote and vote, but also show and stand in solidarity with the community and black lives. Um, so I thought that was an interesting first impression of the protest. So it was immediately, you know, individuals trying to like discourage it. And it was from a group of people I didn't expect, if that makes sense. But yeah, any thoughts, if anyone wants to comment on that. Uh, actually, that's incredibly interesting where uh, there's been protests all throughout many years and things haven't really been changing. So I would expect there, the fact that we're protesting more would actually is what's causing the change. Yeah especially, yeah, especially because like, yes, um, recently justice has been served for the police officers who were involved in the killing of George Floyd, but there's still the instance with Breonna Taylor, who was the paramedic who police broke into her house. She was a paramedic working very hard during the coronavirus crisis. Police broke into her house and shot her indiscriminately. She did nothing wrong. And those police officers have not been charged. So there is a belief among many protesters that I personally agree with that justice isn't served until it's universal and justice isn't. And this movement, I mean, protests aren't over until there's real change made with police power and, you know, to address the power imbalance that currently exists, if that makes sense. And that, that, that takes time, you know, that's not something that happens overnight. And that's what people have to sort of understand. Like, you know, we didn't, like, having schools be integrated didn't happen overnight. Acceptance wasn't overnight either. So it's something that just has to take time. But if you believe in the process, and you're trying to get stuff done, then, you know, it's all worth it at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
And that's why I think, you know, stopping the protests just because some change is being made is not really an effective way to do it, you know? It, 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 we've seen this time and time again. We, something happens that's like good for this movement and then we stop the protest and then it happens all over again. It's a cycle that just continues and continues. And uh, unless we keep, unless we stop, you know, we, we have to continue voicing it. Otherwise it's just going to continue. Yeah, like, because that actually leads into a question I did want to ask you, which was, like, how can we keep the momentum of this movement going? Because I think that on social media, what tends to happen is we get just a surfer case, or maybe we don't, but over social media, things tend to lose their relevancy quickly. So, like, how would we be able to just keep being active um, in this movement? Well, you have so many organizations out there mm -hmm. that do this on a daily basis. Donate to that cause, and of course, you like you. Know, you guys are talking about voting. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a congressperson or a mayor or governor or county executive, whatever the case may be, you have rep someone that's representing you local, and they're not doing anything about it to help advance the cause. Vote them out. And voting for the people that stand with you. That's important because the more we get those people in, the more change will happen. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there's so many ways to support, even if, like, say, if you're afraid of exposing yourself to COVID, for example, there's so many ways that you can actually get involved, even from your own home. Because like it's totally understandable if you feel uncomfortable going out and protesting amid amongst a I mean amid a pandemic, you know. It's it's kind of a serious deterrent to go outside your house, let alone congregate with a massive group of people. But people like you just said, Dan, you can donate. There's so many organizations out there who are willing to I mean, who are doing so much for this movement, who would appreciate any financial support, um, which we should link below, of course, in this podcast episode. Um, there's also ways to donate, even if you don't have money someone, there are actually many YouTube videos surfacing that are filled to the brim with ads and all the ad proceeds are going to go to donating to movements that support black lives matter. Um, and a lot of those videos are filled with cultural music from the like culturally black music and art and things like that. And it's actually like really beautiful that people put this together in order to try and raise money in a in a way that doesn't, you know, some people are struggling financially during this time. So anyone can support it if you want to. Yep, exactly. And then I noticed Sean King, uh, who's active in a lot of things, a lot of uh, African-American matter, matters. He's a Bernie Kratt, for those of you who supported Bernie Sanders. Uh, he even for a while has been, you know, he keeps talking about these racial issues. Recently, he was out telling people to make phone calls to people in Minnesota or people across the country, telling them we need police reform now. We need to change how it's, how things are working in this country in terms of racial bias. So stuff like that as well. You know, if you have time to call your representatives or at least you know hold them accountable, tweet them, whatever the case may be. You know, that's something that you can also do. You know, it's not just donating money, it's donating your time. 
you have them. You can also sign petitions. There's plenty of petitions out there to get justice for the people who have been killed. There's petitions to reform. There are, like you said, you can call your representatives. There's also automatic, like automated text and email functions that you can do to email your representatives or your governor or whoever's in charge. Um, there is a, Amanda, you actually shared this with me so you could speak on it more, uh, an automated text function to repeal a law. Um, Amanda, if you want to chime in on that mm -hmm. one. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so it's, if you text sign Ristis to 50409, you can automatically just put your name and just put in your information. You don't even have to click a link or anything. You just put all of your information in there and then you're actually signing um, a petition to repeal 50A, um, which has allowed um, police misconduct to basically kind of be under wraps. Um, so um, by repealing that, that would actually be something that would really uh, contribute to some form of change. Um, and then you can just put your address in, and then when you put that information in there, it automatically sends off um, a letter that's already kind of in their system off to a, a representative about repealing 50A, um, lo your local representatives. So I feel like that's also something really good that we can do. Yeah, Dan, uh, one thing that I'm actually doing um, going off that too is, is for New Jersey. I'm creating a spreadsheet. And it's an open spreadsheet. You can uh, edit it. it. You don't even have to have a Google account. You can just open the link and click it. There's some names that I added right there, and some other people added names as well, of just a bunch of representatives in, in local districts, and also the governor, uh, you know, Senator Cory Booker, and a couple other people where you can call their numbers and there's emails. Is that Cory Booker? You're calling him out too. It's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have a bunch of different phone numbers on there with emails. And all you got to do is go in the spreadsheet, you click the phone number, and then you can make a call. And the reason I did that is just because I want like a master resource of people to go in and click a number. And then you have to call instead of looking up and, you know, trying to search it. Because I want to do action for this, Dan. I want to side with people who are actually doing something. And I don't want to sit idly by. And, and no one here is. And, and I, that's why I'm really proud of everyone on the show because we're all doing something, even even if, you know, we necessarily can't go outside and protest due to COVID and, you know, our family members at home. But we're all trying to do something. And for me, I'm very passionate about giving a phone call and telling a representative how we feel. And the fact that you're making it public is huge because, you know, a lot of things, that stuff's not really, you have to look it up. It's public, but you have to look it up and it's hard to find. So when you have that master resource, it makes it a lot of stuff much easier. So I thank you for even thinking about that because that's that's a pretty cool thing to have um, in this case, especially if you're in the middle of such a such dire circumstances. Put it this way: you might not know who people uh, even are in, in who are serving the state. Like you, people don't realize as crazy it is that there's a lieutenant governor and and. and people who serve under the lieutenant governor. It's not just the governor. It's not just the senator. They have people in their office. So I'm trying to get people's names in that office so that way more people in that district and more people who serve that representative gets the point across. Yeah, and actually, um, sorry, I was just going to say that um, 
my friend actually came up with templates that people can use. So like if people don't really know exactly what they should say or if they end up having to leave a voicemail, like my friend made these templates that people can use for basically every scenario. So I want to make sure that I link that. But Oh, yeah. that's great because it can get nervous on the phone. <laughs> but but, exactly. but getting yeah, a yeah. phone call, it does so much. And Dan, I'm, you, could, you could vouch for me on this because I know you've done it. When you call... It just it gets your point across way more than a text or an email. Yeah, I mean, te- texting, sending emails, you know, that stuff can easily be deleted because mm-hmm. they can easily ignore that. But when you hear the voice of someone that's angry about something or they're passionate about something, it affects them because, you know, it's not just someone standing by anonymously. It's an actual voice coming from people that you're serving. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think elected officials to understand. I think it's really impactful to have human voices attached to this movement. Like, cause it's one thing to have numbers on a petition and it's one thing to text and call and like email, but to have an actual voice say, I'm outraged with what's happening and there needs to be changed. This needs to be changed really does have a, an impact that, you know, texting and, signing things won't really have um and also just to add to you know what uh justin and amanda were saying in terms of creating templates and creating resources that make it easier for people to be active i think the best thing you can possibly do if you is to gather resources and make it as easy as possible for people to be active if you the easier you make it the more likely people are to do it i mean it's just human nature if something's easy they're more willing to do it. So if you create resources and you create, you know, information centers and make activism easy, then yeah, it's it's a lot more likely. You know who you talk to, the people that are running against them. As good as the protests are, and I, I'm really all, all for them, I think one of the negative side effects is that the police and minority clashing is getting worse right now. And I think that protests are going to stop the um you know the random killings of minorities but how do we like st- how do we mend the relationship how do we build trust again because right now tensions are so high and they just keep climbing and climbing so difficult pretty much at a breaking point where they don't trust the police um protecting our community it really sucks because i believe in the police you know, to be quite honest with you even though i don't like the fact that there's racist cops out there and no one's doing anything about it. I still have a lot of trust that the police will come in and you know protect our community like they were sworn to do so. But it, it, I agree, it's it's hard to see that happening. And you know, the best way to help fix that relationship between the people and the police is. You know, obviously police reform, but, you know, what's that, what's that going to do? And there's still going to be racist out there, you know, in the police force. So I, I guess that the best thing to do is, you know, have conversations, you know, town halls, community policing. I've been huge on that. You know, police officers, you know, getting to know the community, getting to know the people for who they are. And, you know, because a lot of times, a lot of times you have police officers responding I don't even think they even know who they're actually serving, what community they're actually in, you know, people that live there. So, you know, 
definitely something like that can be very useful. And I know New York and Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit, they're all cities where, you know, they have, you know, thousands, millions of people. So, mm-hmm. But definitely having the officers involved in your community as best as they possibly can, as much as they can as well, definitely helps because you get to see, you get, they get to be best friends with you and you get to know them and you build trust with them. That's a good point. Having the cops actually be a part of the community and not just driving through it and, and just going on to different areas. They should be more focused on maybe smaller areas instead of like constantly being moved to different precincts and different areas, actually try to uh, figure out the people you're trying to, you're, you're charged to protect. I agree with that a lot. That they move precincts. No, if you're in a precinct, now unless you're moving to a different area, of course, then you stay there and you build trust in your community. Like that's, if you know people, like, you know, that's, that's something that will help you. That helps the individual person. It helps the cops. And I think there's a lot of, way more than we're admitting, there's a lot of bad cops out there right now. And you can see it all over the internet, all over the news, that the, the cops are reacting very negatively to the protesters. A lot of violence right off the bat. And they're being very, very aggressive. And uh, I kind of wonder what thoughts are on that. These riots and all this stuff, you know, tearing down stores and, you know, hurting innocent people. It's instigated pretty much on both the rioters themselves and the police. The police are instigating these looting scenarios to happen. It's pretty it's pretty rough to see that as well because, you know, for the longest time we always thought, well, the rioting is because, you know, people are just fed up and tired of it. So rather than protesting peacefully, they're just going to um, mess up all these different places and you know tear up other innocent people and affect their lives but really a lot of it is the police instigating the whole issue mm-hmm. they um one thing i i've also seen i'm just gonna i'm gonna say a couple things real quick so feel free to interrupt if anyone needs to but um yeah so one thing i've seen is that the communities are rallying behind the people whose stores have been looted people who are like well i don't condone looting i mean like well, i don't think anybody really like loves looting things but, you know, it's like the, the communities who are the protesting are supporting these businesses that have been destroyed. So and often these looting and rioting, as you said, was instigated by police. So in many situations, that's not really a fair thing to criticize the protest for because it's entirely separate. But uh, on the topic of police reform, because I have something open on my phone that I think is relevant. But what, before I say that, one comment I want to make. I know, you, Dan, you mentioned about building communities and if cops knew the people they'd be less likely to commit violence against them. I did hear, and I've done, I've, I've, I, someone can fact check me on this if I'm wrong. I hear that the police officer who uh, killed George Floyd, I'm not gonna say his name, but I will say George Floyd's name, um, actually knew George and they were former coworkers. And that's and part it's of- It's a nightclub, correct? If I'm not mistaken? Yes, they were, they were security at a nightclub together is what I heard. So that's why people are making the argument that his, um, his charge should be updated, up graded to first degree murder because it was it, you could make the argument it was premeditated because they knew each other so just just wanted to point out that cops knowing the people they're supposed to protect does not automatically ensure that there won't be violence because clearly it, it doesn't in George automatically, case. 
nothing is ever automatic. Well, of course, yes. It, it certainly helps the issue because yes, you get to know who's good in your community and who's bad in your community. I know that sounds, I know that can be a little bit problematic because then you can have your own bias. But at the same time, you can also know that if someone's in trouble, you can help them. And that's what policing should be about. Not just about making arrests, not just mm. about you know filing paperwork and put, trying to put this person in jail, whatever. It should be also it should also be about helping those that you know need the help, need the resources. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of jumping off of that, I wanted to ask, like, if you think that maybe if we were able to improve like screening or training in some way for the police that were taking onto the workforce, that that would maybe improve, um, or at least like that would maybe improve this situation. Because actually one of the statistics I saw too, um, this is kind of like a little bit mostly related to it, but the fact that um, there is a study that from 2013 to 2019, 99% of killings by police didn't result with a charge or a conviction. I've so seen I feel that like, too. Yeah, it's just so crazy. I just wanted to kind of know your thoughts on that. It's devastating to see that, you know, especially if you're if you, you had a wrongful killing, like this is a killing that did not need to happen. It was murder, hundred percent, and it's it's tough to see that statistic to hear that statistic. My my bad, but um, you know. The what you can do is you could do the best you can to reform, but even reform is hard because no one knows the true answer to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've seen proposed for reform to the police, I actually have um, it open right now. I saw a, a chart called the the hashtag for it is hashtag eight can't wait. It's eight reforms they feel that should be made to the people feel should be made to the police force right away. And it has to do largely with violence. I'll just read off the eight right now. One is banning the use of chokeholds and strangleholds to restrain people. One is to a two is to require de-escalating situations before you resort to violence. Three is to require warning before shooting. Four is to exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Five is to intervene with violence whenever you can, without um, intervene during violence whenever you can to prevent it. Um, Six is ban shooting at moving vehicles because it could hit others. Uh, seven is to establish use of the use of force continuum. Basically, from what I understand, that means to establish a kind of like methodology to understand when to use force. And um, actually, let me right. see how they describe that real quick because it says that certain cities have higher restrict higher levels of force. So basically it's restricting higher levels of force. And then number eight is to require all force that cops commit to be reported. So if you ever have to engage actively in a situation that requires force, you have to report it and it goes on your record. So those are the reforms people are proposing. So I just wanted to say that because I had it open and I just felt like it was, during this discussion, it was worth bringing up. Say it's certainly a start and, you know, obviously you can propose this and hopefully come to a compromise. There was another one that I saw, Jeremy, too, and I, and I actually saw this a couple weeks ago when this first happened. This was uh, tweeted by Kyle Kolinsky. He posted this, and I thought this was real powerful. I'll read it real, real quick, and then I know Tom's got something to say. It's a list of 10 things, and I'll read them quick. The first one was end broken windows policing. Number two is community oversight, which Dan said very well earlier. 
Number three is limit use of force. Fours independently investigate and prosecute, so the police should not be policing the police. As we as weird as it is to say, that's exactly what's happening right now. There needs to be an independent committee. Number five, community representation, as Dan said. Number six is mandatory body cameras and filming the police all times. Number seven, as Amanda said before, is training. Number eight is end for profit policing. Number nine is demilitarization, meaning take away tear gas. And number 10 is fair police union contracts. Sorry, Tom. I want to say that real quick. I know you got a lot to say. No, no, you're all good. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, that, that kind of relates to what I was going to say, actually, is, you know, people want a voice. You know, they want to say in, in how policing is done. And right now they really don't have a way. Um, and they've been trying for years to be heard. And just things haven't been working out for them. So they take the protesting, and then we get people that complain that they're not protesting the right way. But I want to ask you, Dan, is there really a, a right way to protest? No, of course not. I think that any person that says there's a right way to protest, there all these arguments are going to be completely absurd because nothing is done perfectly. There's always going to be flaws to any type of movement that you do. There is a flaw in you know in the you know back in the 60s with the civil rights that was, there was many flaws to it you know there were flaws to legislations made so anything that you do is always going to have an issue but that is the fact that you're doing it that matters that gets people attention and if you're able to get the attention of the people and you know change people's lives that's all that matters. Yeah, I don't think there's really a, um, a wrong way to protest. As long as, you know... There's no as long, hurt, really. Yeah, as long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as you're not, you know, actively engaging in violence for the sake of violence, uh, I think then, in reality, there's no real way, wrong way to protest. No, as long as you're protesting for the sake of protesting and you're not, prote you're not doing something violent for the sake of doing something violent. Just, just understanding that, you know, you're fighting for a cause and that... You know, there could be a, a counter rebuttal going on. Understand that too. You know, just make sure that you're doing things your way and that matters. If it's if it's going to offend people, it's going to offend people. There's nothing much you can do. People think differently, you know, but it's about you making sure that your voice is heard and that you're and that people are on the same page with you. If you can't get them on the same page. Yeah, and I think the best way to get people on the same page is really to be open to discussion. Because I've seen a lot of people um, just strictly invalidate other perspectives and just, and granted, I personally believe there are no other valid perspectives besides Black Lives Matter, but I'm also trying to create a platform where I feel open to co having a conversation with people who don't agree with the movement to try and understand their perspective and see if I can give relevant statistics and show relevant information that maybe gets them to open their eyes a little bit more to my perspective. So like, it's one thing to, I, I think the best way to possibly keep people informed and keep trying to get everyone on the same page, like Dan said, because I think that's also the most important thing is to be, you know, have, be fruitful with your information, share it with as many people as you can and be open to conversation with others to try and, who may be on the other side and try and convince them that maybe they're in the wrong. Try and have productive, informative yeah. conversations. That, uh, and this, this kind of stinks, but you know, I posted a, a lot of my protest pictures on Instagram and Facebook. 
one person on Instagram actually challenged me on that very thing. In fact, I was protesting against racism and he believed this guy, I'm going to protect his privacy, but, you know, this guy believed that, you know, that everything that's going on here is made up. You know, obviously the killing of George Floyd is not made up, but the fact that it was for a race, a racist reason is made up out of boredom. And it was just, you know, all fantasy and that it, it all individual case by case thing that we have to focus on, not necessarily about a systemic racial issue here. And, you know, so I was doing my best to, you know, have a civil conversation. I think there was on, it was, it was texting back and forth, obviously, you know, through Instagram. And obviously, you know, it was, it was tough to see that, but I appreciate the fact that I was looking at what he had to say. And I gave him all the time in the world to say what he, to write down what he had to say. And, um, you know, that's one of the things I appreciate about this country is that, you know, everyone thinks differently. We can all come together and debate and do it in a simple way without having to fight each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree. I was going to say that um, it's hard sometimes to talk to people about their perspectives when they're only taking things for what they actually see. So if they don't see racism happening in front of them, they're like, oh, no, that's not happening. Or they just kind of take everything that they're seeing, even with the media, even though it is like such a good tool for getting resources for the movement, I think um, in a lot of ways it can be kind of dangerous because people don't really, um, they kind of take everything that they see and kind of pick and choose the things that they choose to believe um, without really trying to find the facts behind them. Um, but yeah, just kind of wanted to mention Their, their own alternative facts as if, as yeah, well. yeah. I think um, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of a lot of the ignorance stems from privilege, I feel, because you don't believe racism if you don't. I, I mean, you might not believe racism if you don't experience it. Right. It's a it's a privilege to learn about racism secondhandedly. You know, I, I am incredibly privileged to have learned what I've learned from a secondhand experience and not have experienced it myself. And I think a lot of people who. The comments, like the comment of like, if you don't see it, you don't believe it necessarily. Like if you don't experience, if you're not a person of color who has the potential to experience racism, then you may not believe that racism really occurs around you because it's a lot harder to understand it and perceive it if it's not happening to you up front. But if you look into it and you educate yourself about it and you identify that, yes, I am privileged and I'm aware that I'm privileged, but I know others are not, and I know what's happening. I think that's the most important thing is to identify your own privilege and I and educate yourself about what's going on around you. Absolutely. And it's not and it's not just about their the fact that they have their own experience of not looking at racism in their eyes, but where they live too. Because you know where they live, they may not they may not experience that at all from every person that lives in that neighborhood. So it's it's all uh, it's it's a regional thing. And that's what's very interesting about every about this whole issue is that it's it's all about what you grew up with and how you see things. Exactly. You might live in a neighborhood that, uh, for example, people who are on Long Island. Long Island is historically 
there's actually a lot of racial politics in terms of housing and the organization of neighborhoods here. Um, there are good articles out there. If you need to read them, we can link them below. Um, but essentially, you know, a lot of people in Long Island, we grew up in neighborhoods that were predominantly white and we didn't really experience, you know, the even the potential for racial discrimination or, you know, racism in general because we weren't around it. We weren't around minorities in general. And <laughs> so it's like the fact that you can pretend that racism doesn't exist when you grew up around entirely white neighborhoods where racism didn't even have the potential to exist. Um, but but the fact that you live there and it's entirely white is actually institutionalized racism. <laughs> so it's like, and yeah. you're pretending that racism doesn't exist because you didn't see it in your neighborhood. But the reason you didn't see it in your neighborhood is because the way these neighborhoods were planned is was racially structured. It's it's a whole it's a whole tangent. We can go on right. for like hours. Right. But... And and the, just to just to jump off your point there, Jeremy, is that's why I think uh, what Nickelodeon did when they aired that I believe it was nine minutes and twenty seven seconds. I believe it was um, just on their channels of just the message I can't breathe. Um, right, broadcasting all throughout Nickelodeon's channels. I think it was a great thing they did because it actually then brought up that discussion with a lot of families who maybe, you know, wouldn't have otherwise had that conversation with their kids. Mm -hmm. That's a ballsy move by Nickelodeon. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Absolutely. Like, Very ballsy. Because, you know, Nickelodeon, you know, for the longest time, you have all these you know, networks with children's programming that catered to the dominant crowd, the white dominant crowd. And I'm not saying that blacks were never involved, obviously they were. It's incredible black people involved in those children's networks. But ballsy move because you know you're you have to it has to start when you're young. You know, you have to understand, you have to educate when you're young that this is happening in your world. And the fact that Viacom CBS was willing to black out all their cable channels, especially Nickelodeon, which is, you know, it's a, it's a huge network for kids. You know, with the fact that they were able to do that to start a conversation with the young ones is very good on their part. And, you know, I truly think that, you know, it could really change. And look, people are going to have criticisms. There were people who were very critical of it. And, I'm not saying there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with having criticism. I can see how it can be problematic. You know how it can scare people, especially the little ones, because you know they, mm -hmm. they're still trying to understand exactly what's going on. But it's important to feel that way. It's important to experience it, even if you can't experience it in your own life. It's, it's good to have that experience of learning about it it is so vital in today's world and i think one of the best things it does is it kind of forces parents to start the conversation like if your kids are watching the show and then suddenly their show is interrupted by this message they'll be like mom or dad why is this message on the screen if they're not informed and regardless of your opinion you are forced to to talk about it with your children unfortunately i feel like some people would be like Oh, it's just the government trying to, or something weird like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I think the message of, you know, standing in solidarity and using a portion of your airtime to 
air and air a message that can maybe spread the word to new voices is very significant and i'm very glad that they did that and on the topic of corporations chiming in too like because most most big companies are saying stuff and uh it's really hard to take them seriously because you know they're just fueled by profits we're going to say this because it's going to make the most profit but when uh you know all those channels went uh went on air and blacked out their screens you know they lost a lot of money and it's i, I respect the, the hell out of that for someone trying to spread information no matter what the cost and that's probably one of the only companies that did it respectfully in my eyes you're a sports guy just like you know just like me and and we look up to a lot of athletes like you know, I looked. I look up to LeBron James a lot when he speaks out about this stuff, and Colin Kaepernick is a big one. Uh, I think what he did was incredibly brave, and I think it's shameful that he hasn't been on a team in over four years now. Can we talk about real. Just I just want to interrupt for one sure, second. Sure, go ahead. NBA makes their statement like they totally didn't blacklist Colin Kaepernick from joining teams. Basically, they're like, we stand in solidarity. So hypocritical. That was disgusting. Yeah. The, the NFL, you mean, but yes, and, I know. NFL. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I meant, I meant to say NFL. I know he's a football player. <laughs> <laughs> the NFL and EA sports, which censored the word Colin Kaepernick from one of the, uh, cause there was a song that had Colin Kaepernick in it and they censored a song. So yeah, that some of these companies and saying they claimed these it was points. a coincidence. I just want to. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Oh, we didn't. We didn't mean it. Of course. Yeah. You know, the one player who was uh, basically, uh, you know, ostracized from the NFL for his stance. Yeah, totally. We didn't mean it. Yeah. Anyway, go it's... on, Justin. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. No worries. No worries. And and obviously, there's so many other great athletes who who've spoken about this, like Muhammad Ali. And real quick, there is one thing in common about all these athletes is that they were not seen as heroes when they first did this. They were seen, they were hated. Muhammad Ali, they, they called him an American traitor. They thought what he did was wrong. And there's all this revisionist history about them that saying, oh, everyone liked him at the time. No, they didn't. That being said, uh, I need to know what your thoughts are about Drew Brees. Because for me personally, I thought he just backpedaled because he was getting hated on. And I, I'm not so sure I believe that he really means uh, that he's backtracking on it. What, what are your thoughts? You know, the situation was interesting because he was never on board. Right? Let's just call it. He was never on board with the whole protest. You know, he, he obviously has his own interests and when it comes to financial interests, when it comes to his own personal interests, you know, he's never really been on board. So it's interesting that you know, he chose this time to come back to that. Like, I, I mean, I, obviously people are making connections because, you know, police brutality, Colin Kaepernick, you know, sitting, then taking the knee um, uh, to protest all that stuff. So it's interesting. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, as much as I support Drew's... Um, freedom to say what he wants and everything it's it is frustrating because especially when you're in a city like new orleans which has a, a nice pretty decent black population and you have an nfl which is a dominant black group you know when when you hear that that he says something like this you know that's something that can really frustrate 
and it can really mend fences. That's not something that you want to do. You want to support people, you know, the way you can. You want to support the people that are around you. And the fact that you have not really taken your time to understand why the protest, why the outrage, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you just said for sure. And I feel like with in the sports realm specifically, I've noticed a lot of hypocrisy from people in terms of a lot of it's centered around Colin Kaepernick and his attempt at doing peaceful protest. Um, for example, I know um, Mike Pence made a statement like about, yeah, we don't we don't condone the violence that's happening against African-Americans. But meanwhile, this is the same guy who walked out of an NFL game because Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. So um, there's also um, what am I what else was I trying to think of? Oh, there's also a lot of people who are like, I don't understand why these pro- pro- protests can't be entirely peaceful. It's like that's right, because they made fun of him for protesting four years ago. Exactly. Attempts at peaceful protests have not worked, you know? Yeah, and also, you know, the whole thing that bothers me about it is just, like, who are they to say how the community should react? You know, like, they're totally justified in the reaction. I mean, when you have a member of your community killed because of the color of their skin, people are going to be angry. And so the fact that people don't understand that that's justified, obviously the violence shouldn't be happening, but it's like... We have to understand, like, where the outrage is and how long it's been going on. For sure. Yeah, it goes, for sure. It, it goes back to the uh, the question before of like the right way to protest. Kneeling is, in my opinion, a, a good way to protest that is peaceful. And some people were saying that he shouldn't have done that. I, I don't know why they would even say that. That's a that's to me is a very peaceful way to protest, and we get the message he, across very well. He didn't. He didn't even bother anybody. And exactly. They, mm-hmm. they were upset. Why are you upset? He's not bothering you. You know, if you don't like it, you don't. You don't have to like it. You know, but let him be. Yeah, let him yeah. be, and, and expose yourself to why he's doing it. And that's the biggest thing: exposing yourself, learning. It's. It's. It, we're gonna reiterate. I'll reiterate a billion times more. Learn. That's all. That's all. See. See why. Yeah, well said. I 100% agree, Dan. You and I both know, I mean, we studied sports, we watch sports a lot, that these people and athletes in the game have been protesting and speaking their minds long before, before you know, Colin Kaepernick has. These things are supposed to make people feel uncomfortable because, guess what? There's a lot of uncomfortable things happening in the world right now, like what we're seeing with these police officers brutally terrorizing innocent people who are doing nothing, absolutely nothing, and they're getting tear gassed and they're getting beaten for for just doing a peaceful protesting standing idly by one video that actually infuriated me to go off that topic was there was a video of this young young african-american man passionately speaking his heart out to this line of police in it was in new york and he was basically saying like i think to summarize what he said i can't do it justice but he was saying like i love each and every one of you we should we can stand and do this together Nobody has to get hurt. We can sit here peacefully. I love you, and I just want you to show that same love to me. And then, like, the pol- you could see some police officers nodding and listening, and then some guy just comes from the back who's a police officer, pushes them aside, and then, like, restrains the guy who had this, like, passionate, emotional speech doing nothing violent whatsoever for no reason. It that was so—yeah, it was so infuriating. 
And it's infuriating that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of videos seeing that. Exactly. That wasn't the only one. That's just the one that spoke to me most. Yep. But there's hundreds oh, of yeah. videos where that same interaction happens, where you have protesters trying their best to show the police, like, we don't hate you. We just hate the system, right? Like, you people who aren't being violent right now, we don't hate, like, as much as, some, as I disagree with the... Um, spreading of the message not all cops are bad because obviously it's distracting from the real issue in my opinion because obviously exactly. not all cops are bad but you know like not all cops are bad you know there are cops who stand with the movement who support it but like you know the fact that there are cops out there that will continue to be violent towards protesters who were being very peaceful and very respectful towards other cops is what the problem is and it's infuriating mm -hmm. yeah the cops aren't really the ones who need our support right now because at the end of the day they can still take off their uniforms exactly. and go home. It's That's an right. escapable identity, which is not. There's what... no such thing as blue lives because they're it... not born blue. Exactly. Yeah. It's a choice. Exactly. You, you can't choose to be born a person of color. You can choose to become a police officer. And in fact, it's exactly. a very short process where you don't get enough training, in my opinion. <laughs> but anyway. Yes. <laughs> truth, truth. I want to jump back real quick because we just mentioned about tear gas. Um, I oh, just God. think it's so strange about police's use of tear gas when for two reasons when uh the united states didn't offer um i believe it was they didn't offer any supplies like such as tear gas to the police officers when during the hong kong protests they didn't want to give them any tear gas and then also the fact that tear gas was banned in the geneva convention as as illegal it was it was a war crime to use it oh it still so now, is yeah, it yep. still is. It's yep. still a war crime. So the fact that we're using it against our own civilians is just is just jarring. I, I can't even I can't wrap my head around the fact that we would deem it illegal to use in war, but totally acceptable to use in peaceful protests. And just, during a pandemic. Right, during a pandemic as well. Even worse. Yeah. Yes. This is a respiratory disease and you're exactly. people with tear gas, which is restricting their breathing. Doesn't make exactly. any sense. Also, could we talk about how not safe it is to use rubber bullets on civilians like people hear rubber bullets and they think oh these aren't really bullets but if you've ever seen what a rubber bullet looks like those things are massive they can do so much damage to people if right. they're up close enough they can penetrate your skull and kill you they can take out your eyes and blind you for life they're incredibly dangerous and police are using them indiscriminately on civilians and also correctly incorrectly yeah they're supposed course. to be shooting them at the ground to bounce up into a crowd which then negates the force that actually hits the crowd with exactly the where they're just pointing the it yes they're just pointing it at singular people and some some of the even the news crews are, are some i believe a woman lost one of her eyesights in one of her eyes because yep. it hit her in the there face was a, there was a a camera woman who was working for some news network i don't remember exactly which one who who she's now blind in one of her eyes because they were just shot her randomly and also, could we talk about there's that famous image out there where there was a, a nine-year-old girl who was tear-gassed just for, right. like, not that I ever think there's any excuse whatsoever to use tear gas on any civilians, but what was the perceived threat of a nine-year-old child? <laughs> like, first of all, like, I think it's unfair to say that, I, I, I know, like, there, there's, I don't think there's a perceived threat for anyone who is being tear gassed don't get me wrong but it's like how do you even justify that to anyone i don't know that's just yeah exactly that's a terrible way to disperse a crowd it's very very 
like dangerous. It, it hurts. Like it hurts your eyes, and especially when there's kids out there, mm. the use of force in any manner right now is is way too much. About the rubber bullets, I found out the exact distance numbers. I just found an, a, a dem like a a were uh, image of it sorry my words right now uh they're supposed to be used from 36 to 72 yards but often they're being used uh, from less than 30 yards so not only are they shooting them wrong in terms of the aim but they're also shooting them way too close hurt them and going back to all those uh, journalists and granted you know they're cable journalists you know they obviously have an agenda whenever the fact that you have these journalists who are out there doing the best they can to cover and give you all the information. The fact that they're getting hurt hurts me because I have a brother that's in journalism. He's, he's a sports reporter, obviously no sports right now. So he's covering the news, you know, out in Missouri. And it's frustrating. I, I think about him all the time. I worry for his sake. So the fact that journalists out there are getting hurt for doing their jobs, it, it's, it's, horrible and you know studying journalism you know that's all it it it, it hits, hits me very close it really does yeah especially because these journalists don't really have a choice whether or not they're going to these sites it's like oh they're probably just assigned to cover it so the fact that you would shoot at them whether or not they first of all you should never be shooting at people whether what yeah, regardless and, of and, and let me just say like, this after after they identify themselves as press like they're saying their names, we're part of the press, do not shoot us, we're not doing anything wrong, we're just showing the pictures to the people. Exactly. They were literally, they identified their goal, they identified who they were, and there was no excuse whatsoever to attack them. But here we are. You know, it happened. Crazy to think that they're asking, like, please don't shoot, please don't shoot, and then they get shot at. And, like, I know... Like they're rubber bullets. I know we just talked about how deadly they are, but like, you can get hit. How how you can get hit in a a bad spot, and still do a lot of damage. Like you can get hit in the organs and have bruised ribs and and have to go to the hospital for it. They're they're very they're pretty lethal. Now is not the time you want to be going to a hospital. No, yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, oh my gosh, I know. That's nothing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I gotta say the the dedication for these protesters though going out and and standing up for what you know what's right even during a pandemic is just amazing. I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how much how brave how much bravery it takes to go out there knowing that yeah. the coronavirus is still going on. It speaks but... to how much people are uh, are passionate about this. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really inspiring. Like I... that, the majority are in this movement. That there's such a big group of people that are in support of it so there's one positive all, it's all 50, sorry it's all 50 states at this point too and also right. there's there's people protesting abroad for the same right. thing oh yeah i've seen that there's mm-hmm. 13 other countries or so even more than that i remember mm-hmm. uh, seeing that seeing that number thrown around was 13 countries yeah it's it's a global it's a global yeah, exactly. issue that's exactly what i was about to say it has become a global movement and, you know, that's very important, too, because if you have other countries that are willing to align themselves with the communities that are being affected, that can also sway you. That can also, if, you're see, if your country is seen in a light 
that's not good, then you have to, it forces you to change because you have to have relationships with different countries and countries don't want to have a relationship with you because the police is flawed and they kill people for racist reasons. You know, and that's that's hard. The the issue with you know the public opinion issue though is you need a leader who cares about the public opinion of other countries in order for that to make a difference. And I'm not really sure if we have that. <laughs> but you know that's that's another that's another point for maybe another time because that's all that's a very complex issue. Yeah. All I gotta say about that it's it's just frustrating. That's it's very bad. it's very frustrating. Right, right. Well, I think. Um, wait, Sean, did you have something to say? Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking like, it's it's easy to say that like there's change that needs to be made that needs to be made, but it's really hard to figure out how exactly it needs to be made. You know, what's uh, we know all the wrong answers, so let's start there. Let's take away all the wrong answers. Exactly. I think that's one of the best ways we can do that. Right. No, I, I totally agree, guys. And this, hey, this was a really, really great conversation. Um, before we wrap up, Dan, um, can you give us uh, final thoughts and um, anything else that you want to add uh, to wrap this episode up? Yeah, I'm a double whammy for those of you that don't know me. I'm a double whammy. I'm African-American and I'm a Latino. Oh well. <laughs> I don't. I don't really talk about the Latino part because uh, I don't speak Spanish and I really don't identify with that culture. Which you know, it's it's hard, but you know, it is what it is. But I'm a double whammy. That's my reality. So when I'm out there, you know, and know this is like a cliche type of thing, but I do fear for my life. Like I don't know. Know how people are going to see me. I don't know what people are thinking about me, what their judgments are. I don't know if I'm being followed. It's hard to know that you, know, you always have to turn the other way and always look out for your own safety. And you know, that people, there, there are a lot of people that don't understand that. I wish that people did understand that because, you know, when it comes to situations like, in Missouri, or like in New York, in our hometown, New York, you know, and of course, you know, in um, Minneapolis, you know, Chicago, all these places, Georgia, where they had a issue where there was a killing of a black man because of a white police officer. It's, it's tough. It's, it really can be tough to know that you're in that scenario where it could be you. And I just hope one day people understand that. And it's going to take time. I understand that. But, you know, when we really put our minds to it, it will benefit in the end. It's like I said in one of my posts, solidarity means strength. We need to be together need togetherness we put more power into things if we fight all as one that was really well said dan and and i'll tell you this dan 
I see you as one of the nicest people that I know. And I see you as one of my great friends that I met in school. And I'm with you 100%, man. Um, I'm supportive of whatever you do. And whatever you need me to do to help, and everyone here on the show um, feels the same way, whatever we need to do to help you and your movement, uh, you have my support and you have everyone else's support on the show as well. Make sure that you know who you who your leaders are. Know if they're not necessarily elected officials, know who your the leaders are in terms of like your community, your activists, whatever the case may be. You know, get them involved, put get yourself involved in their movements, have a conversation with them, whatever you can to get the attention of the people that are supposed to serve you. That's all I ask for. It's not much. It's not asking for much. Just do that. Thank you so much for coming on the show to educate us. I want to make that clear. You're educating us. And it's like I told you beforehand, I'm not an expert at this. This is not something that I study, you know, but I base this on experience and, you know, just reading about it, you know, reading about it myself. Because again, you know, uh, I mean, there have been times where, you know, I've been stopped. You know, it wasn't anything big, you know, they let me go. But, you know, still, I, my own experiences matter too. So I'm just educating the way I can. And you, you did a great job, and I truly, truly appreciate you telling us about these stories because it's important. And I have an obligation, even if it's a little show like this, to bring knowledge and bring on people that are going through this every day. And, and I don't understand the experiences, and a lot of people don't understand the experiences, and that's why we need to hear from people like you so we can be educated and we can advocate for change and really, really make a difference. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your perspective, because we really do appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you through this conversation. Thanks and I hope you, thanks for having me on. But, but first, Dan, you have your own show. You have your own podcast. Why don't you plug that, my friend? Plug it up. Plug it up. We're only six episodes in. It's fairly new. We started it during quarantine, uh, but it's called the Sports Insanity Podcast. We talk about sports. Obviously, during this time of shutdown, it's hard to talk about any type of sporting event because there aren't any. But we do the best we can. Um, so uh, we're doing episode seven soon. So, you know, subscribe when you can. Uh, you can listen to us on Podbean uh, at Sports Insanity, uh, on YouTube at Sports Insanity, uh, our Twitter handle is Sports Insanity Two, and uh, on Facebook at Sports Insanity. And then, um, you know, we're trying to get uh, at some point we're gonna get our podcast in other places, but right now it's just on Podbean. It's just easier uh, just to start someplace, and uh, you know, when our show builds up, we'll we'll put it out somewhere else. But yeah, uh, episodes come out beginning of the week. Um, some usually on Sunday or Monday, maybe Tuesday. If you know we were lazy enough, so so we're, we do the best we can. But yeah, it's a all sports podcast. Sports and Sandy podcast is the name of it. Uh, hope you tune into it. it. It's a great, great show. I do it with my two best friends. We started this thing out in college. We took a five year break, and now we're back doing it as a podcast. So 
we're, we're totally excited about this new venture. And uh, I hope that uh, for all the sports fans out there that, you know, want to listen and chime in, um, they can subscribe to us on YouTube, listen to us on Podbean and, you know, follow us on our journey. It's amazing. I'll have to check that out. And not many people know sports better than Dan Ryan's, and that's for sure. Dan, we got to make sure, uh, you know, when the NBA comes back on, dude, we got to bring you on the show again. We'll do a special episode. Oh, to- totally. Uh, totally. You no know, sport. I miss sports so much. So, I, but <laughs> by, too, the way, you can, uh, by the way, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me at Dan underscore Ryan's, D-A-N underscore R-Y-A-N-S on Twitter. And then the same thing, but you add a one on my Instagram. Awesome. We'll make Dan. We'll plug all those links in the description below, so you just be able to click it and give you a follow. Of course, yes. Also, real quick, I I don't really. I've never. I've been on the show like what, like five times now. I've never plugged my social media because I don't really care about growing it. But since right now, I've been sharing a lot of resources about Black Lives Matter and the movement in general. If anyone's interested in following me for that information, uh, my at is jconroy330 on pretty much everything. I share the most probably on Instagram, so hope yes. that helps. Yes, Jeremy, you are sharing a lot, and that and that's good. I'll make sure I, I link your stuff as well because you're definitely educating. You're educating me for sure on, on links and, and stuff to sign up for and text and call. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. So thank you so much again for listening to this episode. It was really important that we do it, and uh, we'll be back when the time is right for the Dreamcast Guy episode that we did. So everyone, thanks so much for listening. It was a good one. It was a good one. I liked it. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something. And Black Lives Matter. Exactly. Black Lives Matter. Always.